The side the hills have a mansion of their own. On the other side the river, no longer walks alone. On the other side the lane, run down the streets of gold. On the other side, on the other side, Philippians, and we'll be in Philippians chapter one as we start our new series in the book of Philippians. And it's quite perfect that the book of Philippians is really a newsletter from a missionary, a church planter, to his congregation that he actually planted. And we get to see, essentially, a newsletter with a twist. And this newsletter comes with instructions. So not only is Paul thanking the Philippians for their support, but now he is also emphasizing some things that they need to do and encouraging them to live a life worthy of the gospel. In fact, the whole theme of this letter could be summed up with this phrase, finding joy in gospel faithfulness, finding joy in gospel faithfulness. So We are only going to read the introduction today because I have to give 20 minutes to this this heavy task. And as I was practicing, I was upwards of 50. So I'm going to speak a little fast. I'm going to cut out a lot of illustrations, but I think we'll get the meat of it and we'll be able to digest it quickly. So Philippians chapter one, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this passage gives us an introduction. Let's go ahead and pray as we start. Almighty God, we are so thankful for the opportunity we have to hear from future missionaries, from current missionaries, and we see that your heart is for mission, for reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for Paul, who writes this letter as a slave of you, that you are his master and his Lord, 
that Jesus is Lord of all and that he wants to spread God's kingdom throughout the whole earth. Father, I thank you that we get to preach and study your word. I thank you for um, the visitors that we've had today and, and this last couple of weeks. And I pray that you would continue to spread your kingdom throughout Sierra Vista, throughout the world, and throughout the entire um, population of Vanuatu as well. I pray that we will um, be able to support reaching the people of Vanuatu with the Bibles in their heart language. And so I pray especially for that. I pray for Sasha as she is preparing to take a big step. Six children uh, to tutor is a, is a very large um, endeavor. So Father, I know that you are gracious and can, can support her in that. So I, I pray for that as well. God, be with us and guide us. Lead us to your word and to your cross. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. So Paul is writing this letter to the first church that he has planted. Does anybody remember the situation that he came into to plant this church? We're going we're gonna to look at it. And so he, he writes it from Rome. Now I want you to think about the letters that you have received. How many of you have received letters from prison? When you when you receive letters from someone in prison, sometimes it's they want to explain to you the circumstances of their imprisonment and say it's not such a bad situation. I really didn't do that thing, or maybe they admit it. They said we I did do that thing, and I'm very sorry for what I've done. But Paul is writing, and he's almost boasting about his imprisonment. Because he said, it's for the advance of the gospel that I'm imprisoned. And so he's writing somewhere around 62 AD. And somewhere between two to five later, two to five years later, Paul is martyred in Rome. So this is essentially a death letter from Paul. This is probably the last that the Philippians may hear of this man named Paul. This church was planted somewhere around 48 or 49 AD. And if Jesus was crucified on 33 AD, you would think about 15, 20 years later, this church is planted. So this church is really close to the crucifixion. And Paul has just received a gift from this church that he has planted. They have sent some money to help him support himself while he's under house arrest in Rome. Because prison was different in those days, wasn't it? Some prisons were, you get put in a hole, and if you have friends that bring you food, You'll, you'll, you'll survive. Or you may be in a house in prison like he is and have Roman centurions or Roman guards protecting you and keeping you from escaping, but you can still kind of carry on business, but you can't really earn a living. So Paul gets some money from the Philippians. And so we see this introduction to gospel work. We're going to see who is writing the letter, to whom it is being written, and then we're going to explore the use of these words grace and peace. First off, we see that Paul and Timothy are slaves of Christ Jesus. Now, you may have in your Bible translation, the Bible in front of you, it may say servant, or it may say bond servant. And this is because as Americans, we are familiar with something called the slave trade and the sla and slavery in our time. And, and as we've looked at that slavery, we see it as a race-based type of slavery. Whereas that was a different type of slavery back in Paul's day. It wasn't so much based on your race, but as in your circumstances. So many people would, would be put in slavery because they forgot to pay their water bill or their electric bill 
or whatever bill that they received. They were not able to afford something, and so they go to debtor's prison. Yes, Mom, I know there was no electric back then. And so we see that they had a bill that they had to pay that they were unable to pay, and so they were put in prison. Or maybe if you were a tutor and you were going to tutor some really wealthy families, you said, if I become a slave to this family, I will be known as a high-ranking tutor. And so you would, in, you would voluntarily place yourself in, under slavery in order to be a slave to a, to a special house. And so Paul introduces himself uniquely here. Most of his other letters, how does he introduce himself? An apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet here he says, I am a slave. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. So he is really emphasizing this fact that he is bound to serve Jesus Christ and which introduces the rest of the theme of this letter, which is finding joy in gospel faithfulness. Now, we know a lot about Paul, and we're not going to rehash it all here, but Paul was a very pharisaical man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He followed the law exactly, and so he had so much zeal and hate for anything that looked like it was opposed to the one true God and to Judaism. And then Jesus stops him on that road to Damascus, converts him, changes his heart, and he has a change of pace. So much so that he goes from living a pretty comfortable life to slavery, to imprisonment. And his imprisonment for him is no slavery at all, but joy. And so he has this background. We know he's a Roman citizen, and we know a few other things about Paul, but he includes Timothy in this letter. And what we know about Timothy is he was a missionary intern. Paul brought him along and trained him in the ways of the force of Christianity, of the gospel. Right? He was a Padawan, for those of you who like Star Wars. And what happened is Paul trains him. He found him in Asia Minor in a town called Lystra, where we get our word for Listerine. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Paul trusted this man for many important missions. In fact, he sent him to some of the most difficult tasks in the country. He sent him to some of the most difficult churches, the churches that had the infighting, where they were fighting over the carpet color because the carpet should have been purple when it was actually green. And they were fighting over the drapes. And they were fighting over that. Remember how he talked about, what do you need to do, Timothy? You need to preach the word. And so he sends him on a difficult assignment. So this Timothy is here with Paul in this prison. And I want to hone in on this word, slave for Christ. I think we need to really focus in on what it means to be a slave for Christ. Because we think about the slavery in that time, that people would voluntarily place themselves in slavery in order to get a better position in their life. What does it look like for us today, modernized Christians, modern people with the cell phones and the cars and, the, and the, everything that we want at the moment of um, Amazon, right, is a pretty wonderful thing, and we can get it immediately, sometimes even that same day. What would it look like to be a slave for Christ today? What does that look like? I mean, would you, would you place yourself, would you get some shackles and walk around Walmart with your shackles on? What would it look like to be a slave for Christ today? So I think we should think about it this way, that we are slaves of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. 
Let's see how 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 says it. It says, A person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mystery of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. Another way that we can think about this word slave is that you are swallowed up in the will of another. You are swallowed up in the will of another. No longer is your personal desires and wills that important. It's the will of your master. And if your master is that some kind of petty and cruel person, how would you think that your life would be? But if your master is Jesus Christ, if, if God is your master, what should you be consumed with? What should your day look like? When you wake up in the morning, what should your first thoughts be? How can I please my master? How can I know the will of God so well that I can follow it on this earth? That should be, that should be what we're about. So when you leave this church building and you're thinking about where to go for lunch, how can you please the master? Is it we've got to beat the Methodist out of church and so we've got to get to the, the restaurant first so we don't have to wait in line? Or can it be like no matter what comes, I will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, says Joshua. And when Joshua was saying that, he was saying, you Israelites may go a different direction than the rest of us but we are going to serve the Lord. Can you guys make that commitment with me this week? I am going to be consumed with the will of another. I am going to be consumed with serving God rather than man. And through the serving of God, you will serve your spouse. When she asks you to do something you don't want to do, when she asks you to change the poopy diaper on the baby, no longer are you going to get up and go, <sighs> Here we go again, got to change the baby, right? Or, man, every time I get around this house, there's a baby with a poopy diaper, right? And you start cutting her down. That's not serving the will of God. We have to be consumed with the will of another. And then Paul talks to these folks. He calls them saints. Now, those of you with a Catholic background, your mind immediately thinks of Mother Teresa or some other saint, but let's look at these saints that Paul is talking to. Let's flip on over to Acts chapter 16. Keep a finger here. You're going to want to keep it. In Acts, 6, in Acts 16, we meet some of these saints that Paul has in mind. First, Acts 16, verse 14. And I'm not going to read the whole story because I want you to do that this week. But it says that there's a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening, the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Paul is writing this letter. He's pinning it out. And as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, to Philippi, the place that came up with the first um, pie fillings. And as he was writing to them, in his mind, he is thinking about Lydia, this wealthy woman who is a merchant who sells purple cloth. He calls her a saint. And we also get this other girl, a slave girl. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. 
She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed, as I can imagine he would be. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. Now, I don't know if this demoniac slave girl joined the church afterwards or not, but I can imagine that was a pretty traumatic event, having a lady run around after you, screaming at you and prophesying about you. So he probably has her in his mind. And finally, we have a jailer. This is a hardcore veteran, probably a veteran of many battles, who is now in charge of the jail. And he's very zealous for his task because when Paul and, and Silas, or Paul and Timothy, got in trouble for preaching, he put him in the deepest, darkest corner of the cell and double shackled them and did everything he could to lock them in place. And this jailer in verse 29 called for the lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out. And said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So as Paul is writing to these saints, these holy ones, these set apart ones, they're kind of like you and I, aren't they? These aren't a special class of Christians. These are people set apart for God. And in fact, Paul probably has Daniel 7 verses 18, 22, and 27 in his mind as he's talking about saints. So saints are all of us, holy ones. Now, let's take a, just a second to look at Philippi. What it, where is Philippi? Well, we know that it is a military town. It exists because of a victory that has happened, and then a lot of veterans from those, from those wars was given citizenship and made a Roman colony. This is a very prestigious thing. That means there's a lot of taxes they don't have to pay. So they would be a little bit more wealthier. But these are retired veterans. Do we have any veterans like that in our congregation? Of course. Our whole town is filled with retired military members who are living here. And a lot of Sierra Vista exists because of the military installation and the veterans. And so Philippi is a lot like Sierra Vista in the fact that it has a lot of patriotism, a lot of pride in country, and pride for service of country. So they were patriotic Romans. And for Romans, if you were patriotic, what does that mean? That, you, that means you worship the gods of Rome, that you sacrifice to the gods of Rome, because it's unpatriotic to not worship their gods. Because what do the gods do? They, they determine the good and the bad in a, in a town. Right? If there's a volcano, who do they blame? If there's an earthquake, they blame the gods, and we're not making the gods happy. So as a Roman citizen, as a Roman patriot, you would worship these foreign gods. Imagine the difficulty of having a church in that environment. Imagine being accused of no patriotism by being a Christian. And so that's what we're, we're, we're dealing with here. And in fact, if you see the excavations of the town, you'll notice that there are many inscriptions in Latin. They have a large theater. They have speaker platforms. And of course, lots of temples to the Roman gods. And so we see the situation in Philippi. And then we have the ending. It says, a salutation of Christ Jesus. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Paul did? He put Christ and God the Father on the same plane. They're equal. 
Now, we know that Paul is a monotheist. He believes that there is one God. Therefore, we could deduce that Jesus Christ is also God. And that will get us into the, tw the, the Trinity. And if you watch our little YouTube video about bad illustrations for the, the Trinity, I explain the Trinity as clearly as I can for you. So go back on, on our church website and look at the YouTube video about the Trinity, and you can understand why God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are both God in one. So, grace. Now, the typical letters written from that time, from the, from the, the, the early or mid-Roman time, they have this greeting. It says, instead of where we have grace, it would be greeting, or it would be like howdy, right? Or hi. That's what we would have there. But Paul does a play on words using the Greek, and he says, grace to you. When it's used in the New Testament, it's often shorthand for what God did at Calvary. And they're going to say it right. What God did on the cross. So that's what he is saying. When he says grace, he's like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ be with you. Where God stepped down from his throne, took on the guilt and penalty of human sin. Now for Greeks, grace was something that you did to a friend. But for God, it was done to the sinner. The sinner who was bitter and had hatred toward God. Sal salvation is a gift of pure generosity on God's part. And then we get this word peace. Now this Greek word is often used in the Old Testament in place of shalom, the Hebrew for a type of peace that was all-encompassing, a type of harmony. So Paul is wishing to these people the full gospel, which gives peace, which gives rest, which gives hope, and which God does. If you notice how it does it, grace is something that God does in them, and peace is something that they would experience. And so as he is writing this to the Philippians, he's also writing it to us, that we would have grace and peace, that we would have the gift of grace, and that we would experience peace. And that's what Paul has done here to the Philippians. And so we see this sketch of a faithful Christian in just two verses in this passage. We have a faithful Christian is one who is a slave to Christ, which means his agenda is now your agenda. Second is a saint, one who is set apart, not perfect, not without a past, but is now set apart for Christ. Which means his heart's desire is for grace and peace to all people. First to the people of God, then to the whole world. I want to question, how do you measure up? How do you measure up to this standard? Do you wish grace and peace to everyone else? Or are you so caught up in your own mind space that you only think about yourself? Do you extend grace to your enemies? The grace of Jesus Christ who died for those who were yet sinners. Will you love others like that? Will you work for their peace, for their good? Maybe there's someone in your mind that just popped into your brain right now as we were talking. 
Is there someone that is an enemy to you that you are not extending grace to? What does that say about you as a person? It says you're full of pride. You are full of pride, and all you care about is your right, your rights. If Jesus Christ had had that mentality, we would still stand condemned before a holy and perfect God. And we see in Philippians that Christ humbles himself, humbles himself, makes himself into a man, and experiences the pain and suffering of a human being, the God, the creator of the universe. I was studying, when I was studying biblical counseling, I heard this story. A man comes in and he says to the counselor, my wife is so difficult. I am done with her. We are out. This is over. And the counselor says, well, are you loving her like Christ commands you to? Well, he says, you don't understand, counselor. She's more like a roommate. She's like a neighbor to me. And the counselor says, good. What does Christ say? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, well, you don't, you don't understand. Counselor, you don't understand. She's not really like a neighbor. She's more like an enemy. We're at odds with each other. She's an enemy. And the counselor says, ah, I see. You know what the Bible says? Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, of course, there was much more to be worked out in that relationship. But there's no escape clause to this. Either you are a slave consumed totally with your master's bidding, or you're not. Either you're set apart for God, you are a holy one of God, or you're not. There's no in-between. I want you to consider your heart. Christ's death for us is the only way that we can forgive others. Who don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it so will you join me this week in striving to be a slave for christ will you do that if you're not willing to do that i really want you to consider your heart consider where you belong in this faith are you going to be consumed with god's agenda or your own selfish agenda that's the real question so this week, let's go ahead and pray. Bow your heads and consider that question. Will I be a slave for Christ this week? Spend some time dealing with God in this moment. If there's any hesitation or anything holding you back from being totally committed to this Jesus Christ who gave it all for us, I want you to repent of that thought. Father, we are so unworthy of the gift of the gospel. We are so unworthy to have a Bible in our own language that spells out so very clearly what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't have to stumble in the dark because you have revealed the light to us. And we know that those who love Christ are attracted to the light, but those who hate you run from it. Help us to be a people, help us to be a church that pursues the light. God, thank you for your mercy. Be with this people. Be with us and guide us.
In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Now we